Superhumanize. Accelerated Evolution. Welcome to another episode of the Superhumanize podcast, where we explore groundbreaking ideas and practices that elevate our understanding of human potential. I'm your host, Ariana Summer, and today we have the privilege of diving deep into the world of child development and connected communities with two remarkable guests, Dr. Darsha Narvaez and Dr. Gay Bradshaw. Dr. Darsha Narvaez is a renowned professor of psychology emerita at the University of Notre Dame and an esteemed scholar whose work has significantly shaped the field of developmental psychology. With a focus on moral development and the crucial role of early life experiences, Dr. Narvaez has dedicated her career to uncovering the innate blueprint that nature has designed for raising children. Joining her is Dr. Gay Bradshaw, an extraordinary ecologist, psychologist, and acclaimed author. Dr. Bradshaw's pioneering work centers around the interconnectedness of human and animal well-being and the importance of compassionate communities. Her expertise lies in bridging the gap between the sciences, exploring the intersection of psychology, ecology, and ethics. Together, Dr. Narvaez and Dr. Bradshaw have co-authored the transformative book, The Evolved Nest, Nature's Way of Raising Children and Creating Connected Communities. This groundbreaking work delves into the profound wisdom embedded in our ancestral heritage and offers a blueprint for nurturing children and fostering interconnected communities, creating harmonious societies. Our guests will guide us through the concept of the evolved nest and highlight its paramount significance in the development of children and society as a whole. They will illuminate the core elements of the evolved nest that are indispensable for fostering healthy growth, nurturing empathy, and cultivating resilient, compassionate individuals and societies. Dr. Narvaez and Dr. Bradshaw will shed light on the relationship between the evolved nest and the alarming concept of nature deficit disorder. We will explore the profound ramifications of disconnection from the natural world and discuss ways to combat this issue cultivating a harmonious and sustainable coexistence with our environment for the benefit of future generations. summer and I have passionately dedicated the last 12 years of my life to creating the ultimate human experience mentally, physically and spiritually based on the most powerful ancient teachings and cutting edge modern discoveries and technologies. The Superhumanized podcast is a show committed to sharing what I have learned from the world's leading experts in order to help you achieve your full potential and create your best life ever. Darsha, it is so great to welcome you back on the podcast, and it's wonderful to connect with you, Gay. Welcome to the Superhumanized podcast. Thank you. You both collaborated on a book, The Evolved Nest, Nature's Way of Raising Children and Creating Connected Communities. Can you let us know how this collaboration was inspired? I was inspired by Gay's beautiful writing and her beautiful spirit. 
and invited her along on this journey to write more popularly about the evolved nest. And she has so many wonderful experiences and knowledge about animals in such deep ways that it just became a fantastic venture. I'll I'll ditto that (laughs) from my perspective with Darsha. And I think it was really quite wonderful because we come from different perspectives and we pull them together. And that really was alchemical. It created a an entity that was neither me or, nor Darsha in a sense. I love that you bring the concept of alchemy into this gay and both of you coming from different perspectives. I'd like to paint a little bit of picture about both of you. Of course, I've mentioned it in the introduction. However, in your own words, if each of you could illuminate our audience for those members of our audience who are not familiar with your work yet and the scope of your work yet, could you just paint that picture for us, please? I'll start. My work in the last couple of decades really has been focused on figuring out what's gone wrong with humanity and what we can do to fix this, <laughs> essentially, and discovering from really a transdisciplinary perspective, integrating across disciplines. That means evolutionary science, ethnography, anthropology, ethology, clinical and neurosciences, how humans can be and how we're deficient in many ways and the cause or at least a significant aspect of what's gone wrong is the missing evolved nest. We forgot that babies, children are growing themselves based on their experience with others And if we don't remember what our species' normal provision of child-rearing is, then we can mess things up very easily, and we've done that in the Western industrialized, capitalized, capitalism world. People have gotten so busy with other things, they forgot how to raise a human being, how to actually become and maintain humanity. For me, I've been working, well, I guess it's a couple decades as well, from a different perspective. And that is the misperception, the the myths about non-human nature, particularly animals. But really, as time goes on, in our collaboration together, Darsha and I also brought in the plant world and the rest of the earth, so non-human nature. But my work is really focused on non-human animals and how the misperception in this has been so damaging. And that damaging on the, on animals has is ricocheting <laughs> in terms of how it's affecting humans. So I began my work really from a more formalized perspective. I've always been very much concerned about the misperception of animals with the quote-unquote discovery of elephant post-traumatic stress disorder. And that was a very vivid case where I did come from, and this is where Darsha and I first met, was in the realm of neuropsychology, which is Darsha has very deep experience and knowledge. And the elephant PTSD was such a clear example of how human violence, the deviation from the evolutionary path, which is embodied by the evolved nest, has caused so much harm and so much suffering and pain in the animal world. So elephants were were killing other animals. They were killing rhinoceroses. This was in South Africa. And I looked at that phenomena from the perspective of neuroscience, which tacitly acknowledges 
that all animals, including octopuses and vertebrates, like octopuses have the same brains that we do and the capacities for thinking and feeling and loving and emotions, etc. And as we develop more deeply in the evolved nest together, they really have the same kind of basic principles and ethics of raising a family. They may have different kinds of environments or ecosystems, different body types. An elephant is not a whale. A whale is not a wolf or a coyote or a beaver, a parrot. Those are some of the animals that we discuss. But when you really look under the hood as such, we can see that they have very similar values. They have very similar ways of interacting with the world, despite the differences in their bodies. Mm -hmm. And similar ways in raising their young. Yes. Which is what we really focus on in the book. Mm -hmm. And that's something, this is really fascinating. Thank you both. Thank you, Gay, also for shining a light on the parallels or rather the connectivity mm -hmm. with the non-human animals. Could you, in a nutshell, explain the concept of the evolved nest and also its importance in the development of children and society as a whole? Well, I'll start again. The evolved nest, we've identified practices that are found all over the world in nomadic foraging societies. That's the kind of society we all lived in, all our ancestors lived in for eons. It's only the last 1% of human existence on the earth that we've moved away from living that way. And when you look at these societies, there's certain characteristics they all share in how they raise the young. So one is a soothing perinatal experience where the mother who's pregnant feels welcomed and supported. Birth is stress-free by and large. It's supported. There's no impo imposition of pain or separation of mom and baby. And then they stay together. Skin-to-skin -skin contact right away facilitates breastfeeding, which is another aspect of the nest. So breastfeeding is hundreds of millions of years old, actually. Animals have providing fluids from their bodies for their young forever. And our species normality is to provide it at, on request, which we have thin milk, so it has to be very frequently ingested because the baby's stomach is very small too. And it's got all these ingredients to build the body and brain, and it's 80% alive. And it usually goes for several years in our species. Then there's affectionate touch, and that's positive caring, positive touch, no negative touch, no spanking, no slapping, pinching. It's caring pretty much 24-7, being physically present to the young baby, infant, and then throughout life, we all need touch. Another one is welcoming a social climate or environment where you feel like you belong, you matter, People love you, you have a positive impact, you feel like you are in the place where you should be. We all need that too. Another one is self-directed free play with others, multiple age playmates. Self-directed play is not organized by adults. <laughs> it's the children running around playing chase or wrestling or creative drama, whatever. And that's building the brain in so many ways, turning genes on and building the capacity to stop and start action, to control aggression, and all the things, executive functions that we need throughout life. Another one is alloparents, other people other than mother. This is usually how it's called, allomothers, that, who are there to take care of the young, be there and be a responsive, attentive person to that child, or all of us need mentors throughout life too. And usually mom is present at the same time. 
And then another is responsive relationships. So that means when you're a baby, you're kept calm. There's always someone there that notices that you're starting to get upset and they calm you down so that the biochemistry of growth, which is happening so quickly in, in the babyhood, is going to go well instead of off kilter. If you leave babies in distress, you're going to shift trajectory. You're going to grow the wrong things. You'll make a stress-reactive person who's less able to have as less free will because their neurobiology just takes over and they go into oh, freeze mode or anger mode or something, bracing against life. And then there, the last two are nature immersion in connection. So that means being out in nature, wild nature preferably, so that you become comfortable on your place on earth, in your place on earth. So you recognize and are able to pick up the signals, the communications of all the animals and plants, the winds, the the weather, whatever, you feel like you're there and you're part of a connected community. And the last one is regular routine, uh, regular or routine healing practices. So having ways of mending. Babies have to learn that from it. Their caregivers are going to get dissynchronized and then they, the caregiver, will come back and resynchronize the baby. And the baby then learns how to do that with people and carries that forward. And we all get out of balance every now and then or feel dysregulated and we need healing practices to mend our relationships, mend ourselves, mend our sense of connection to the universe. Wow. Darsha, thank you for yes, painting this picture for us. And there's so many elements here that just really resonate. A couple of them, particularly what you just said about when a baby, a small child, as far as I understood, constantly put into whether it's fight, flight, or freeze, or of course, there's also fawn mode. And we're basically, instead of acting from their inside out and having agency, they're constantly taught to react or have to react. And that takes away from them, from us developing our free will. That is really profound. And that experience explains a lot, I'm sure, for a lot of people who just, you know, even if we had parents who are lovely, they did the best with whatever they could, and we had pretty good childhoods. However, if we're raised in households where there's constant emergency situations or where parents have not learned how to communicate in a nonviolent way or maybe emotionally dysregulate it, what that does to a small child and then as it becomes an adult. And the other thing you mentioned, so to learn how to self-heal. So a lot of us, I would I would guess, grow up in families, even if they're loving and nice, where this self-healing and teaching how to heal and self-heal is not necessarily part of the day-to-day. So I would like to learn more. I'm curious, how else has modern society deviated from the evolved nest? And what are the consequences of this deviation that we may see in daily life or also in larger scale, what's going on in the world? I have a short film, six-minute film, breaking the cycle, which contrasts the two cycles. We're in the cycle of competitive detachment. It's actually a trauma-inducing pathway that we've entered where we don't meet basic needs in early life. So then you have dysregulated people in various ways, depending on when the stressors occur. You're Physical elements like the vagus nerve, other aspects won't be regulated properly, your social skills and so on. And then that, that you become an adult, you never quite gets on track. You don't feel well, you don't develop wisdom. 
And those are the adults that then create the society that keeps the same thing going, where you don't meet basic needs. We're on that cycle right now, trauma-inducing, whereas the alternative course our ancestors practiced or we wouldn't wouldn't be here (laughs) is a wellness-informed or wellness-promoting pathway where you meet the basic needs, you create the people with well-functioning and reaching their full potential, and then they foster a society that keeps that kind of cycle going. So right now, we can see that it's trickled up. It's everywhere. The feeling of danger. We've got adults in the United States shooting people because they're afraid of someone knocking on their door. This is insane, right? It's that reactivity, high heightened stress reactivity. And then you have people in charge who are disconnected. So there's a huge disconnection, stress reactivity, People are using their left hemispheres, their left brain, which is all about analyzing and idealizing models, right? And applying them to the world in the right hemisphere's capacities of getting along with others and reading the world, the natural world, and being receptive and flexible and attuned. That's the stuff we've underdeveloped. And so we don't know what we're missing. (laughs) We think it's normal to be stuck in your head, your little intellect. And to be stress-reactive and aggressive and self-centered, we forgot that's not how our species evolved. Yes. And I, so oftentimes when I speak, and this has been going on for a, from our human limited, our lifespan perspective for a long time, because oftentimes when I speak to people who are of advanced age, even in their mid-80s or such, where you'd ex, you just tend to think, okay, there would be certain wisdom and they would know alternatives. Oftentimes what you get is, oh, it's always been this way. This is just how it is, but it's not. So how can the parents and caregivers of today integrate the principles of the evolved nest into their parenting practices? And especially in the face of the modern challenges, like the world that we're faced with as it is, with these kinds of dysfunctional and disconnected people all around, and it's us included, and also challenges such as technology and just our very busy schedules. Yay. Would you like to take this up because of the practices that you implement every day about nurturing? Yeah. What's amazing is the way that Darsha articulates it and which is this very deep science, and it's really common sense. <laughs> and we have to use that language because that's the language that's around in those images. But really, when you look at an animal, um, that's what they do naturally. And that's really the foundation of the evolved nest is we have split from, uh, we, t- we took a wrong turn 10,000 years ago, or not everyone. Indig- a lot of indigenous traditions maintain or have tried to maintain the evolved nest practices. But like with the animals, you just look at them and they just do things naturally. And everything that they do is just very conservative. It all pulls back like an attractor to a way of, in very simple terms, and care. And so the, the way I came about it is that the primal tear was really this idea Somehow, <laughs> about 10,000 years ago, and Darsha writes about that with the onset of agriculture, someone had the idea, a couple people in different places, that we were different and separate and superior to nature. And that is the way I see it, that is the primal tear. And so that to me, that the real power of the evolved nest concept and explication comes from really, oh, we do belong. We don't have to 
reconnect with nature. We are nature. And it has really has a powerful effect in terms of dissolving this, what you were just saying about it's always been this way. It's dissolving that mindset, which we've been conditioned as a cultural conditioning. And it's very powerful because it basically embeds us back in nature again. So when you look at, I have a sanctuary, for example, I think that's what Darsh is also talking about. It's encouraging a lot of the animals, they're desert tortoises, rabbits, different kinds of farmed animals. And it's really supporting their ability to be themselves and to support them. And they recover, even though they've had severe trauma, they are embedded in in the rest of nature. And that is really the most important thing is to feel in place into feeling belonging and making sense of, oh, that's me. And what was so exciting was for me to work with Darsha on this is that I've been working on this publishing in science about talking about the brains are the same and the capacities are the same and the susceptibility to trauma, blah, 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 the same. And then bringing in the evolved nest is like, oh, we're all one family. And I think that's so powerful is that we are in the animal family and we're just one of the of many. The other thing I think it's important is a different perspective is looking at, we tend to focus on difference. You're different than me. We're different from them. And I think we confuse that difference with diversity. So if you really want to look at it, the animal world, the plant world is all the same. We have the same substrate. You can look at it from the perspective of evolution. We may have gone in different things, but the substrate is really the same. And what we're seeing as differences among species, for example, or even is that um, this is just variations on a theme. So the practices are as like touching. That is like so fundamental. <laughs> and there's been all sorts of studies and about lack of touch, which are actually quite appalling. There's some famous experiments with human babies as well as with animal subjects, which is, it's horrifying, but just something like that. And I think that our return to an embodiment, to feeling whole again, is just, that's it. It's just relaxing around that. It's at, Darsha talked about the right brain. It's really opening up into our fundamental spirituality. That is that inner self of connection with everything. Yeah, thank you for your insights on this, Gay. And what I find really fascinating is also how this ties in from your perspective to the development the, of agriculture and how at some point, instead of working together as a collective, where each member of the collective had a very valuable, valued role, whether you were the one who went out foraging for roots and berries, or you were the one that would go out and had the capacity to hunt and every once in a while bring bring a bigger protein-laden meal that would be shared amongst all of the collective, or whether you would be somebody who take care of the children. And once with the emergence of agriculture, it was all about who was the person who could produce the most and then hoard the most. So I think, which also very much, it would be interesting if it's possible to know, was this higher activity of the right brain the precursor of that, or did it evolve from <laughs> the changing practices? And in that way, also negating something that a lot of people would liken with 
with the feminine principles and feminine not meant as female, biologically female, but the feminine aspects that and so that are in each and every human being and that have gotten subjugated for so many thousands of years. One example I'd like to bring in is we talk about one of the chapters is about brown bears, which is equivalent on North America with grizzly bears. And in particular, we focus on a gentleman, Charlie Russell. He was a friend and colleague of mine that wrote a book with him and about him. And he went to Russia because he felt that he wanted to show people that bear these big bears, they're many kilos, <laughs> five feet at the withers and things, that they're not these fierce, mindless creatures, that they're very warm and they're very pro-social and loving. And he raised, he, it was not his intent, but he raised 10 orphaned baby brown bears. And he did it in the wilderness in Kamchatka. And there was a female brown bear that he called Brandy, who basically took him under, took Charlie, a human man, under her wing. She had cubs. And she, one day, they she just left her cubs with Charlie as a nanny. And so he became a nanny. And they developed this wonderful relationship. And as he always talked about, she was a tough cookie. She didn't want, she got mad at him one time because he was with the cubs and everything and her cubs and his cubs. And she roared down the slope at him. And he was, and he realized he was goofing around. He was having fun with the kids and she was on, she was working. She was trying to find salmon. He, he was learning about their values and, and just that incredible capacity that we overlook the natural capacity to care and help one another. And maybe Darsha can also talk about this idea of a gift economy where there's rest. It's based on, oh, you need something, I'll give you something. But it's not, if I give you something, then then you're going to give me next time. It's not like that at all. It's not transactional. And that's very much, I find, a formative principle in nature. And that was, that's very characteristic of our ancestors, as Darsha has talked about, as well as indigenous, many indigenous traditions. Thank you for sharing that story about your colleague and Brandy. I can, it's beautiful. It really touches the heart. And also I can't even begin to imagine how it must feel like when you have a huge bear who's not happy with your parenting nanny practices, roar down a slope at you. She liked his practices, but she didn't want him interfering with yeah. her job, which was to find food. <laughs> uh, but that's it was it's a beautiful thing because Charlie was a man. He was an incredible person. And he's exemplar in terms of saying that's how we can be. We can develop our natural. He was just a he was a really tough guy <laughs> in the way of being able to live in nature and things like that. And had great fortitude with different weather conditions and difficulties. But he I was so gentle and so loving. That to me was so important because it shows that's the natural capacity and orientation of all of nature. And when we develop those qualities that Darsha describes of the evolved nest, we are automatically reintegrating with nature. It's, it's profound. And if we could just open our eyes and hearts more to what is right in front of us in nature, if we could reconnect with nature, which we are. That's also something I've always, especially as I grew a little bit older and hopefully a little bit wiser, I found it interesting how even individuals who are consider themselves environmentalists 
and it, the motiv- the motivation is good and it comes from a good place, of course. But many of those, and that was me too at a certain age, it would be like, have to save the environment. It's us and the environment. No, it's nature. All of it is nature. And ourselves disavowing ourselves from what we truly are, which is nature. That's where pretty much all of our ills stem from. We can't save nature. I would argue that we can't, quote unquote, save nature unless we become nature. We have to return to our animal nature, which all the animals show us how to be in the moment, tender and loving and responsive and familial and calm with the rest of the natural world rather than agitated and destructive and wanting to exterminate. I have convinced my husband to do no mow April and no mow May on our landscape. And I had to do some <laughs> persuasion. I had to say, you've got to stop the, your conquistador mind. You have to adopt the partner mindset. And that kind of got him. He understood that then. It's not about domination. It's about partnership. Hugely important. And I think, I believe I, I mentioned this when Darsha, you and I had the beautiful conversation a while ago. And this partnership model versus the domination model is something that also another honored guest of this podcast speaks about, and it's in fact her life's mission, Dr. Ryan Eisler. So for anyone who also wants to learn more about that, there's some really beautiful books and teachings that align perfectly, link in perfectly with what both of you are offering to the world. I'd like to talk about, so people who first learn about the evolved nest. What are some of the common misconceptions about the evolved nest and how would you respond to them? Well, I think probably the first reaction I get sometimes is, we've evolved beyond that. (laughs) We don't need that anymore. (laughs) As if we've evolved out of being mammals (laughs) or animals. We can't go backward. We have to progress. That's right. We're on a progress. Look at all that we have achieved, all this technology, right? <laughs> Part It's partly that. Another one is, I don't want to have to go live in a hut because they think that's what it means. You're returning to a particular life way that they don't know how to do or aren't interested in. We're not talking about that either because the evolved nest practices can be incorporated into everyone's life, everyone's lives in the community. We just have to figure out how to do it and support the attempts that are made rather than undermining them or belittling them or focusing on other things. I think it'll come. I think if you, if someone reads The Evolved Nest and thinks about it and really understands that our healing, the path of healing is this is a path of healing to quote unquote reconnect with nature. It's a path of healing for ourselves. And if we can see that we are integrating with nature through this path, I think that things will naturally unfold of how to move, how to move toward the future in that way. I think that there's so many things that are going on. There's a lot of meditation and mindfulness and a move towards spirituality and wholeness. And I think that this actually is a kind of almost a manual in a sense of showing that we're not alone. I think there's a fear. I think there's so much fear, which keeps people in this isolated, aggressive, hurtful and harmful space. 
And I think that at least our hope is and feedback that we've gotten is that the evolved nest is really cozy and it it feels good again. It's like being hugged. It's like being hugged again by nature and Mother Earth in that way. And so we spoke about a little while ago how individuals, parents, what they can do to incorporate some of the principles of the evolved nest into their parenting. I think equally as important, if you look at how much time little ones, children, young adults spend in, in schools, or what are some of the practical ways in which schools and also communities can create environments and also habits that are more aligned with the principles of the evolved nest? Well, one big one is to allow children to play outside freely and to wander the streets if they need to or want to, instead of having these laws where you, they punish the parents for letting their children outside or taking them to a park and letting them run around unsupervised. That's crazy stuff. <laughs> so we got to get back to letting kids play because playing can heal the, the right hemisphere, it grows the right hemisphere when you're face-to-face and you have to react to your partner and you have to keep not too aggressive or they'll stop playing with you and you have to do all this stuff. It's growing your empathy. It's growing your sense of well-being. It's growing your sense of connection to all. So that's the biggest thing. We could talk about many other aspects, but I think that would be number one. Mm. And you got in school. So when I was a classroom teacher, we would play folk song games as much as possible. I taught Spanish and we would do these things in Spanish and they would have to touch each other. They'd sing. That's good for the vagus nerve. They're looking each other in the eye. I did this with my undergraduate college students. When I, whatever class I was teaching, it was usually a moral development or constructing a good life. We'd learn these folk song games and then we'd go play them with kindergartners. And boy, that was just so cool, right? And they felt alive and they felt like they belonged and here we are together so you need a lot more moments like that beautiful and i like also the freedom that comes with it learning how to actually in a healthy way to be free to have agency it ties back into what you talked about a little while ago with free will i would come back with an with a another number two and that is very much respect nature and listen to nature and to not use nature and to not see animals as ways of helping ourselves. There's a thing called animal assisted therapy and it's useful, but it's again, very much a large part of that is using nature in an exploitive kind of way. And that is, is completely undermines the goal, if you want to call it in the principles of the evolved nest it's to be respectful. And I'll, yes, you have free will, but that doesn't mean you can do anything you want at any time and go see an animal or touch an animal, like going to a zoo. That's suffering. If animal suffering should not be part of human healing. And so there really needs to be an understanding of a reciprocity. That's a very strong one. Darsha talks about that in the Evolved Nest a lot. But there's that notion of really respecting and understanding that animals and trees have, quote unquote, just as much right as we do, and perhaps even more because they are living that wisdom and they retain that wisdom. So I would say also that the to encourage schools and families and communities to design activities that are inclusive of nature, not just using it, but inclusive. Not just saying we're going to cut this tree down because I want a better view. 
that the ideas mold ourselves around the tree instead of, for example, here in my sanctuary, we have wildlife and everything. And I march along. <laughs> I go from A to B because I'm hearing or whatever doing and I get caught up in that. It's a very different energy than if I just kind of stroll. And I, if you look at most animals in wildlife, they don't go from A to B. If a cougar's going to hunt and he's gonna, they've got a path. But in general, they, they walk in. Darsh is talking about music. It's very musical in the way that they move. And it's almost choreographed in some way. So it's they flow with each other. They move with each other. They're considerate of each other. That doesn't mean that they're all best friends. It has to do with that they're very respectful of each other and very understanding of the cultural values of each species. So nature immersion, mm-hmm. right? Wherever you are, connect to the natural world around you. You're in a, an apartment with a plant and you in a city, or if you're on the street, feel the presence of the dandelion or whatever it is other than human and pay attention and receive the energy because we are connect, able to connect all the time. Everything is gifts, are gifts from Mother Earth. Mm-hmm. Mother Earth loves us. We wouldn't be here without all their love. So feel it and connect wherever you are. I think an important thing to keep in mind that helps cultivate that attitude is always be in service to nature. The famous John Kennedy, don't ask what was that thing? Don't ask what the country can do for you, but what you can do for the country. Ask the tree, ask the birds when you see, what can I do for you? In the sense of in that, that, that is an opening for another, for an animal because they're typically excluded except when they're used. And so to have that porosity and to have that invitation of being in service and being respectful really changes the dynamic. So connection is truly, or reconnection, to reconnect is truly what I hear from both of you. And you speak a language that is also a language of my heart as far as daily choices go. I'm certainly no saint. I'm certainly not perfect. I try in my own little way to reconnect, make a difference. I'm pretty much plant-based, for example. So that is a way in which I try to not use animals and also to reconnect to nature, respect nature, and minimize my footprint, at least in that way. You spoke about the different species respect moving and flowing with each other, gay, and respecting the different cultural values, which I found fascinating. So if we look at this, for example, from a human animal perspective and the different roles that certain life philosophies, ways of life play in different cultures and how they're tied to, let's say, religion or other things that are deeply ingrained what role do cultural differences play in the implementation and also the understanding of the evolved nest? And how can we address these differences in a very globalized world? Depends on what you mean by cultural differences, too. I think we all have the heritage of the evolved nest. It's in our it's instinctual. If you leave mothers alone and untraumatized. <laughs> They're going to want to provide the evolved nest and the community around them if they're not traumatized or guided by some ideal set of practices that some expert told them to do or a seeming expert 
So I think we have to just get back to allowing parents and communities the freedom to actually follow those instincts that we all sh- we share with the other animals. Mm-hmm. We don't allow adults or communities to do that anymore. We're, we time in the last few hundred years has turned into something that you spend instead of pass. And you don't understand anymore how to just be in the moment and go with the flow. You outside of the flow, because you're like Gabe was saying, you have stuff to do. You got to go from A to B. And it's really hard to provide the nest when you're caught in that rat race, essentially. So we have to step off that platform (laughs) and get back to stepping on the earth, going barefoot on the earth and connecting, being connecting to our ancestral wisdom. And I would say that also it's, you can do this, a lot of the same things, but to prioritize the quality of relationship. When you're, this is somewhat coming into the culture with nonviolent communication and things like that, but to always try to prioritize, that's the quality, the care quality with whomever you're interacting. And I think that that's really what's the core of the evolved nest is really saying is we need to start really cultivating a care culture. That's the priority. Obviously there's emergencies and there's exigencies and things like that, but generally speaking at every moment, prioritize positive, loving quality more than the outcome. So the outcome and and the means toward the outcome, the outcome should reflect the means It shouldn't be instead of the means and the ends. They should match that just because you get what you want as such, but it's been a bad relationship or caused stress, and then it's not worth it in that sense. And I just think that reorientation, just very small, taking one minute, you're on the phone, you call for something, just say, heartfelt, how are you? I try to do that. Even if it's like the pharmacy or I typically deal with clinics and things like that, I just say, hi, how are And oftentimes people are like silent. And it's just giving space that, oh, this is a human being. This is a being that I'm interacting with. It may be on Zoom or it may be on the phone or maybe on email, but to say this is a life being in that way, or like your Darsha's talking about her garden, just taking that small thing going, why does it have to be this way? Why can't I listen and see what the grass wants to do? But And I think that's really why we, that's what nature embodies. And that's why people who are, most people who are stressed or traumatized gravitate to being in nature. There are these spikes, someone eats someone, or there's a landslide or something. But generally speaking, when we look out at nature, when we're out in nature, it's very calming. And it's that quality that we need to cultivate. Manner matters. Being present to the other in the moment. Mm -hmm. Wherever you are, whoever you're with, the spider, the dandelion (laughs) person, a human, and to honor and respect them and be try to be relationally attuned. It takes practice. You have to be patient with yourself if you're not used to doing this. Instead of being efficient, right? You want to be present. And show respect to whichever creature you're facing. And with babies, that means you slow down and because they're on a different pace, right? Elderly, too, are on a different pace. You have to 
recognize that and move into the flow with them. And we can do that every day in every way with everything. Very inspiring seeds that you both are planting into our minds right now. Thank you for that. Can you share any future seeds or projects or initiatives related to the Evolved Nest that you are currently working on and you'd like to share? I have a movie, a new, another movie coming together in the next few weeks called Re Reimagining Humanity. And so that's part of this getting back connected, right? And that will be something we'll share with the world. That's very exciting. I think one of the problems or obstacles that face that we face, it was like when you had said, oh, we have to all live in a hut. I think people don't know how to transition. There isn't a vision of the future. We want peace. We want to have security, but we don't really have a concrete. I, a few years ago, I was interviewing some young activists and incredible people, animal activists, absolutely terrific. And I asked them just casually in 15 years, how would you like to be living? How would you like to be seeing? And it was a small sample, but no one really had an answer. And so I think that visioning, the way you're talking about it, reimagining is really important because it then starts to help us map. It's going to be complicated in the sense of, or I shouldn't say not so much complicated, it's messy. We have the mothership of this culture. And you said you're not virtuous. I live in a cabin in a house and we have windows. And even when I put things up, birds sometimes hit that. Or I turn the bag, I have a towel that I put on the bathtub <laughs> so the spiders can come in and out. Sometimes I'm like so shocked because I miss the spider. And so things like that are messy and making decisions. But having a vision really helps us. Okay, given that, then this is a better. These are not necessarily ideal choices, but this is a better choice. So I think that's a very important thing with that kind of visioning. I'm developing, it's a book and a curriculum on nature nonviolence, which is based in meditation and mindfulness and really cultivate um, what I culture nature nonviolence and nature consciousness, which is nature is typically all a Tennyson red in tooth and claw is portrayed with fear, with walls, and it's violent and scary. And that's not the way nature, the animals function at all. They do when they have been traumatized by humans because their cultures are falling apart like elephant culture. Civilization has been just rent to shreds and all wildlife because of human intrusion and violence in that way. So that's one mini project that I'm doing as organization is really cultivating um, what does it mean to live by nature's ethics and principles? How do we affect cultural change in a way, the way I'm saying it is we want to do it the way nature does it. That's nature nonviolence. Those are both wonderful projects. I look forward to learning more and actually witnessing, seeing them as you materialize them into this plane of being. For people who would like to connect with you both, support, find out more about you, how can they do so? For the Evolved Nest, evolvednest.org is the place to go. And we also have a curriculum on the Evolved Nest that will be coming out this summer for the public to go through and find out more deeply and the information about it, but also to rate yourself on your nestedness, <laughs> how to apply it in workplace or at home. 
that kind of thing. People can find that at evolvenest.org. And my, my nonprofit is Carrillo Center for Nonviolence, and that's carrillos.org. That's where we're going to be having our curriculum and we have different kinds of resources for individuals. It's more from the synoptic. That's the intersection where Darsha and I are, that it talks broadly about developing compassionate communication with animals and non-animals like trees. Wonderful. And Gay, you shared something that I found really beautiful. I oftentimes find little spiders in my bathtub and then how to catch them without hurting them and releasing them to actually just place a towel in there. So when they just over, you just take a towel and so they can come in and out because they go after the water. Yes. I also have this thing called, I call it the worm refugee camp when it rains. And this is particularly important in urban or suburban areas when it rains and a lot of the worms come out because they're drowning. And so if you have persistent <laughs> rains or whatever, then I have these planters, these pots. And so I, I pick them up and put them in there until the rains quell so they, they can live safely. Oh, just small things, small things like that aren't so small when you're a worm or (laughs) when you're a spider, but they have these societies and they have these relationships. That's the other thing is that they have all these intertwined relationships across species and they feel the same things that we do. I think they, they handle things better, but that doesn't mean that we can just assume that they don't have feelings of sadness and grief when they leave, learn that one of their family members or friends has been killed or died. Very true. And I'm really appreciative of you sharing these two practices out <laughs> with novel and also for the earthworms. I always feel so sorry when I see them. When I can, I pick them up and I put them back. But then at days after rains, like we had quite a lot, thank goodness, mm-hmm. in California, all these dead little worms. And so that's your woman to my own heart. <laughs> you also, Darsha. And Darsha, is there any practice you could share in this vein? Because I see it as in it reconnects us to our own, the better of our nature, but it also reconnects us to the nature that we are to the nature around us. Is there anything you could share? I carry a pitchfork in my car uh-huh. for when I come upon a road-killed animal, yeah. take it off the road and either sing mm-hmm. to it, pray over it and thank it for its life and wish it well on its way. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that, Darsha. Thank you both so much for coming on the podcast. It's really been a joy and it's been so enriching to talk to both of you and to learn from your wisdom. Thank you for all the offerings you put out into this world by your work, by who you be. I'm really very grateful to both of you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Have a beautiful day. Take care. Bye-bye. Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution. 